Hello and welcome to Automators, where we talk about how to get your technology to celebrate your holidays with you. My name is Rosemary Orchard, and as always, I'm joined by the wonderful David Sparks. Hey, David, how are you? I'm great, Rose. I uh, I think this episode is going to be fun. I think your family members' reviews will be mixed. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I will agree with that in advance. Um, when the Christmas tree starts playing, we wish you a Merry Christmas at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, somebody is probably going to complain. It might not be the kids if you have kids, but it could be somebody else in your life or you. Um, so, you know, we'll uh, take that under advisement when you get creative automating this holiday season. Yeah. So um, we thought it would be fun this year since we are around the holidays and we're both feeling a little punchy. Just to come up with 12 goofy holiday and New Year related automations. Yes. Um, the problems we have, how we're solving them, and hopefully you can take something from it. And uh, you can use this stuff for the holidays, but you can really use it all year too. Before we get started, I have something to share. I released the paperless field guide. Hooray, it's out now. Yay, congratulations, David. I know you've been working super hard on this, and uh, life has thrown a couple of curveballs your way as well during the production process. Yeah, I mean, it, my my iMac went, you know, had to go into the shop for a while, and there were a bunch of issues and um, fire evacuations and, you know, all that. <laughs> but the, uh, so it's it's a new version of the paperless field guide. It's it's temporarily on sale for $24, and it'll go up to $29. You can get it over at learn.maxsparky.com. The automator level of this thing, the backstory is um, there's a bunch of automation stuff, shortcuts and whatnot in the field guide because paperless workflows involve a lot of automation. But the one that I wanted to, to talk about real briefly with the audience here is I was struggling with the folder creation script. You know, I wanted to have a simple folder creation script, and I know you can buy an app for it, and the Keyboard Maestro kind of does it. There, there's all these apps that kind of build a set of nested folders for you, but none of them do a very good job of it. So I tried a bunch of tools out. Ultimately, I ended up writing an Apple script to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, and you can write nested folders with Apple script, and you can even write it where you can choose like a source folder, or you can um, have it just automatically create a certain folder. And then I spent like another hour trying to figure out how to do it on an iCloud directory because iCloud directories are a completely different animal. But I, I, I eventually figured it all out. Then I sent it to Sal, you know, the the master of Apple Script. Say, is there any way I could do this better? And he's like, No, you basically got it. <laughs> you know, so that is high praise indeed. Because sometimes go. it's really tricky to figure these things out, and then somebody else looks at it and goes, "But why didn't you just press the widget cranking button?" Yeah, you know, they're going, "Wait, there's there's a button for that? Where?" Nobody told me about this. I was kind of expecting him because my scripts were like 15 lines. I was kind of expecting him to send me like a two liner that just did the same thing. But no, he said that was the most efficient way. So I got Sal's approval and uh, those scripts are all in the field guide. But it, there's a lot of automation stuff in there if you're interested in it. But uh, if you want to go paperless, please uh, help support me and go check it out. And you can do that at learn.maxsparky.com. Yeah, it's actually one of my New Year's resolutions, David, to uh, overhaul my system and make sure that I am as paperless as possible. So I've been going through your field guide already. I, I got a bit of a sneak preview. Um, so I'm I'm very much appreciating that you've done all the hard work for me. Well, one of the really nice things about paperless now versus the last time I wrote a book on this was it used to be you needed to buy a $400 scanner to go paperless. And now there are so many really good apps that, that will yeah. do the scanning for you that you really don't need a fancy scanner unless you're you have got a huge volume. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so let's talk about some holiday automations. I mean, the 
the one that everybody would have first on their list is probably how do you light the trees up automatically? And uh-huh. uh, um, so we've done this a couple different ways in the Sparks house over the years. Um, I had some old Wemo plugs that just stopped working this year. So instead I went uh, on Amazon. I found some plugs on Amazon that were uh, just $15 for a plug. And if you bought two of them, at least I, I think it might have been a sale, but it was like two of them was like 22 or something. It wasn't that expensive to buy it. We, we actually have two Christmas trees in our house because that's how we do it, I guess. Um, one is like the real tree and one is a tiny one. But uh, I wanted them both to be able to turn on automatically. So I found I found these plugs on Amazon. It was a third-party vendor that I'd never heard of before, but they were so cheap. And, you know, I know with Amazon, it's easy enough to send them back if they don't work. So I went ahead and took mm-hmm. a shot on them. And I'm dr- quickly scrolling through my Amazon history right now to try and find these damn things. Oh, there we go. Miros, M-E-R-O-S-S. Yeah. Okay, David, we are actually surprisingly similar in many, many ways. Uh, So I also bought smart plugs. I went with Ikea once because I was in Ikea earlier this year, and I just bought tons of plugs. Um, But a friend wanted an automated uh, Christmas tree. But uh, he's an Android user, and uh, you know that's a bit scary to you and me. But you know they're 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 still wonderful people they're out there. And yeah. I thought, you know, what what should I, what should I get him so he doesn't need to buy like a, a Google Nest or uh, you know an um, Echo Dot or anything like that. And I went with a Miros plug as well. I don't know if it's Miros or Meros. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I got one of those. Um, they they are frequently on sale right now, it seems. And uh, also, spoiler alert, I bought their 10-meter LED light strip for under my bed because I, I'm working on that. Uh, and uh, yeah, their stuff's great. It doesn't need um, a hub or a bridge to integrate with HomeKit. And uh, it just connects to your Wi-Fi. And it does seem to work pretty well. I'm quite impressed with it. Yeah, so they've got the sticker on it. And yeah. you just scan the sticker from the Home app. Now, the ones I bought, it was $20 for two of them. I don't know if that's still the deal. But the um, uh, immediately said it needed a um, a um, firmware update. Yeah. So I downloaded the app, and I ran the firmware update, and it just hung. And it never got over it. It just never stopped. In fact, and then I went back to HomeKit. didn't work anymore. You know, this is the typical thing, right? Mm. So then I pulled the plug out. And I put it back in the wall, holding down the the switch power, because that's usually the way you reset these things. And sure enough, the light started blinking again, and then I was able to add it to HomeKit again. And uh, just because I've been busy, Rose, I still ha- I haven't gone back to try and do a firmware update. Right now, it has a little badge on it saying it needs a firmware update. It doesn't seem to matter. It works just fine. And I have these both yeah. of these things installed. And... Um, uh, in general, I'm happy with the cost. I mean, when I think about how much I paid for those Wemo plugs that died versus these Miros plugs, I I feel like I uh, I probably spent too much money <laughs> on the other ones. Uh, and I'm not sure these are going to last forever, but they definitely are working great this year. So once you've got them installed, they're HomeKit friendly. So how do you turn them on? Um, you can, using all the great new triggers we've got uh, in shortcuts, you can like set up a shortcut script. You could also just go in HomeKit automation and do that. And the way I'm doing them is I'm having them turn on automatically when it gets dark outside. Mm-hmm. And then I'm using another automation to turn them off automatically at 11. Um, right. But 
often we'll turn them on during the day because we like the Christmas tree and we're sitting there and they're all LED lights. They use almost no power anymore. So uh, I also added a home kit, um, what do you call a scene, just to mm-hmm. turn the lights on. It's a, it's a scene with just two objects attached to it, just each tree. But it's a way that my wife can open up the home kit app because she's not particularly savvy with this stuff. There's a big button there. It says turn trees on, you know, and she taps it and the trees go on. And interestingly, uh, historically, I've done these where I would attach it to a switch. Like I would use one of our Lutron cassettes um, because Lutron makes a thing you can plug into the wall and plug lights mm-hmm. into it. Um, I'm not doing that this year. Just for giggles, I decided, what if I did it this year where there was no physical switch to turn the lights off and on? How would the family handle that? And now the tree's been up a week and a half, and nobody has said anything to me about it. They're just wow. fine. I mean, they. I think I've successfully nerdified them enough that it hasn't even occurred to them that I should have it attached to a switch. Yeah. That is great. That is a, a good update because I, I bought um, two uh, IKEA smart outlets and I bought a button for them as well, uh, just because uh, all the IKEA things need to be paired with what they term steering devices. Um, and so a steering device could be a motion sensor or a button, but their motion sensors and buttons do not appear in HomeKit, which is the downside of that approach. Uh, and the button is the cheapest way to do it. And I like separating my things out so I know that this button would turn these things off. So I, I just I bought two outlets and a button. Um, and uh, that's working pretty great. And uh, I, like you, have a scene that turns on my Christmas tree um, and the lights that I've strung around the TV stand next to it. When I turn the TV on, I am turning the lights around the TV stand off just so that I don't have uh, any glare or anything because the uh, IKEA star lights I've got, I think they're called Strala, are really, really lovely, but they're also quite bright, actually, which is sure. great. You get like a reflection on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can do. And uh, yeah, I also uh, kind of went a little bit out there with my Christmas lights this year because my my Christmas tree is a pre-decorated, pre-lit one um, just because it it's actually a very nice tree and it's quite small. And so this year I, you know, I upped the ante. I added some extra decorations. I added some more tinsel. Um, and I decided that I needed more lights because I was bored with just plain, warm, white lights. Uh, So I went with twinkly lights. Twinkly, not as an adjective, as a proper noun. Uh, You can find these at twinkly.com. I should note, I got these in a amazing Black Friday sale at a place I think called Lights for Fun in the UK. And that's for with the number four. Um, But um, they are programmable lights. And when I say programmable lights, I mean you put them on your tree and you use the app and it maps your tree. So it flashes all of the LEDs in sequence. So you need to turn any other lights um, that are on the tree off for this. And it'll flash all the LEDs in a specific color in sequence while you're pointing the camera at your tree. And then it knows where each LED is. And then you can use it to do effects. So it will do a rainbow gradient or, um, you know, snowfall or popcorn effects or, you know, uh, rockets um, lighting up or flags. And you can also draw on your tree in the app and make different LEDs go different colors. And you can tap each individual LED and set it to a different color, which is so much fun. I have wasted so much time sitting there changing the LED colors on my Christmas tree, David. It's amazing. I love it. I am looking at this website, Rose, and this is amazing. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I I should know. I did get them on an amazing Black Friday deal. They are quite expensive, especially if you have a bigger tree. 
I am very fortunate. My tree is tall but skinny um, because uh, the last place I lived and this place are both quite small, um, which means that I don't have a huge amount of floor space, but ceiling space is available. So I uh, I have a, a tall but skinny tree. So I got away with 100 lights. Um, and that looks pretty good on it, uh, I have to say. And, uh, they come with a decently long lead and everything as well, which is great. But I just love the fact that I can... I can do this. I will confess, I saw these advertised on Instagram, and I genuinely thought that they were just a thing that weren't really very, you know, good. But I have been spending a lot of time on uh, the Homebridge subreddit recently, just because there's a lot of cool stuff that appears on there, and the HomeKit one. Um, and so many people were recommending these lights. Now, these lights are not HomeKit compatible. They are HomeBridge compatible, though, which means somebody has written a HomeBridge plugin for them. So yeah. then you can get them into HomeKit. So in HomeKit, I can't change, you know, like what colors or scenes they're doing or anything. I can just turn them on and off and dim them if I want to. Uh, so that is something else I do. When I turn on the TV, I, as well as turning off the stars around the TV stand, I also dim the Christmas tree to 50%. And I turn off the other, the the pre-lit lights as well. Um, so that's, uh, so it's not too bright, which is quite nice. So I still have, you know, a nice, I, I tend to just keep it on a, a very uh, slow change between colors during the day um, and get a bit jazzier in the evenings. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how I'm doing my tree right now. <laughs> All right, so the next time you see these on a killer deal, let me know. Yeah, I saw them on a Black Friday deal here in the UK. I presume they were probably also on sale somewhere in the US. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that, yeah. that's that's something that you can do there. Yeah, that is that is crazy. I think, uh, I don't as long as I could afford it, I think my wife would go nuts for these things. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. They can be quite pricey. As you can imagine, you know, individually addressable LEDs are. Yeah. Um, the light strip from Miros that I mentioned earlier was ridiculously cheap for 10 meters. I think that's, what, 30 feet of, of light strip, but they yeah. are not individually addressable LEDs. You set the entire strip to one color, um, and that's it. So. so how much do twinkly lights cost normally? I think think they're usually around 120 pounds i want to say for the hundred and i got them for about 50 okay. which is still a lot of money for christmas tree lights yeah bearing in mind i i recently bought a friend some christmas lights for five pounds for a hundred warm white lights they don't they don't have any patterns or anything i could have got a um multicolored ones for the same price um but you know they're literally 10 times the price of normal christmas lights but they're so much fun to program and there's a music module as well where you can have them uh you know dance in time to songs and stuff like that if you wanted to yeah they, and there's a whole whole bunch of them i'm looking like curtains and all sorts yeah. of different yeah yeah they do all sorts of things yeah i went with uh just a, a chain of leds and uh wrapped them around my tree um i did need to get uh, an assistant to help me because uh it's it's surprisingly difficult when you have a tall skinny tree to wrap things around it so i had a friend rotate the tree while i just held the lights and <laughs> pinned them in place as we went but that worked out quite nicely. I'm that guy when it comes to putting lights on a Christmas tree where I'm obsessive about it. Like, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's two, you can make two choices putting lights on your Christmas tree. You can just kind of like throw them up there and get it done very quickly, or you can wrap them into the limbs. And that's a good time for me to put on a book on tape or a podcast. And I will my, literally, I'll start lighting the tree and my family will go away for hours and then they'll come <laughs> back and the tree's lit. Cause I just, I'm insistent. 
My my tree is basically uh, a triangle. Um, it doesn't have limbs per se. It is a piece of continuous wire wrapped into a tall, skinny, triangular shape, sort of like a pyramid, but very, very squished. And it only has three sides, not four. Um, but um, it it's a nice tree. I actually like it, and it looks pretty cool. Um, and especially with these twinkly lights, I am super impressed. Yeah, just and I was just looking. I mean, it's too late for me this year, but a two hundred next year. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see how I'm feeling. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's been a rough year. You know, so I don't yes. know. Maybe yeah. I feel like I yeah. can afford them, but it's two hundred and thirty dollars for a, a two hundred and fifty light set. Yeah, yeah, They're, they can be quite yeah. pricey. So, so yeah, a dollar a watch light, out basically. for the salespeople in January. There should be some good light. January sales. Yeah. Well, while we're on the light theme, I I actually have some other light related automations that we could talk about. Well, let me finish. I've got one more thing. So the the Miros thing works so well. Uh, historically, I have lit my outdoor lights. You know, the guy who makes a show called Automators. I actually have never automated the outdoor lights because. Oh my gosh, David! Uh, I mean, like 10, 15 years ago, I bought a, a light sensing switch, so it's just outside. And it's the source where the lights are plugged in. And as soon as it's it senses that it's dark, um, then the lights turn on and they stay on for like three hours. And it's always worked so well that it's just never been a problem. But I relocated it this year. And when we pull into the driveway after dark, then all the lights turn off because the light sensor thinks it's daylight. And then that resets everything. So I had to switch over to something more automator friendly this year. And I just spent another 15 bucks and bought another Miros and it's, it's holding it just fine. Yes. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize, I mean, I guess it depends on where your plug is, but uh, finding outdoor home kit compatible plugs can be a bit tricky. Uh, I know Wemo do some, but of course they are understandably a bit more pricey but i i'm finding that there are a lot of newcomers in the home kit market actually right now which are producing things at more affordable prices i think apple's uh, requirement of secure software rather than a specific chip in your in their devices is definitely making more manufacturers jump on board and the way i'm doing this one is actually i run the cord for the lights from the garage to just under the garage door so if you come see my yeah, house you yeah, can pull that in. works and then I put the Miros plug on the inside uh, between yes. the garage plug and the cord that goes outside. And that made it closer to the network and it's dry and you know just kind of solved a whole bunch of problems. Yeah, yeah. That is definitely a great approach on that. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN, high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. Get an extra three months for free uh, when you go to Express vpn.com slash automators. The sad truth is our data isn't always safe. No matter who you are or what sites you use, attacks leading to data leaks are worrying and they're common. And you don't want your credit card info, passwords, or driver's license in the hands of hackers, especially when, according to recent reports, your data is worth up to $1,000 on the darker parts of the web. You're already busy. You don't want to have to worry about hackers and scammers while you use your devices. I don't either. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that funnels your data through a secure encrypted tunnel so that no matter what device you use, you can have peace of mind every time you use on the internet. The app connects with just one click, is lightning fast, and the best part is ExpressVPN works on up to five devices simultaneously so you and your whole family can stay protected. 
I've been using ExpressVPN for years. They gave me a trial for it when they first came on as a sponsor. Uh, and I was immediately attracted to ExpressVPN. I like the ease of use. I like the fact that you just open up an app, you press one button, and you're plugged in. And I just renewed, I believe, for the second time. And that is not, you know, I'm not getting it for free, guys. I pay for it just like you. And it is a no-brainer for me. I just did my my renewal just a couple of weeks ago. I buy it at a year at a time. And I have safe and secure internet on all my devices, no matter where I am. I even like having it when I'm home. Uh, you know, we're all stuck home with this pandemic, but it just creeps me out that the um, that these cable companies are tracking all the data we use on the internet. And I don't do anything weird on the internet, but I just don't want to give them the data, so I turn it on at home too. But ExpressVPN, once you get your account, that's all you have to do: put it in, hit a button, and you're off to the races. So protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired, and countless others. And if you visit expressvpn.com slash automators, right now you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash automators. Go ahead and visit expressvpn.com slash automators to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. So, David, do you want to continue the light theme? I've just realized we've done one automation so far. We've, we've <laughs> got another we 11 12, to go. 11. <laughs> okay, let's do another one. Let's do another so one. So, on the second day of Christmas automation or holiday automation, uh, I would like to continue the lights theme. Uh, colored bulbs are great at this time of year. It's a great excuse. If you've been looking at getting some smart bulbs, maybe for lamps, especially anything where the physical plug is a little bit out of the way and difficult to access, and you can set them to reds, golds, greens, all of those wonderful colors. I also have nano leaf light panels though. I have the original triangular ones, uh, but I did ha- I do have a rhythm module for them. Since then, they have come out with squares and then hexagons, which are the best guns. Uh, and now they have shapes, which are uh, a variety of different shapes that you can interconnect with each other. But these are really pretty lights. Um, and Nanoleaf has also come out with some very cheap colored bulbs and um, a light strip, which is uh, kind of affordable. Um, and they don't require a hub and uh, they uh, work pretty well. They're using the new stuff is using the thread technology, which is in the HomePod Mini, David. So it reacts super fast if you have a HomePod Mini. Um but I really like my nano leaf light panels. I did not stick them to the wall like they suggest. Uh, I used some other double-sided uh, foam adhesive tape to stick them to a piece of uh, wood, uh, which has got a, a white facing on it. And then I've hung that in a frame, which did need reinforcement. These lights are kind of heavy, but they're now hanging above my sofa. And they are amazing holiday lights and also just lights for ambient color the rest of the year. They're surprisingly bright, I should warn people. But it's really nice to have, you know, other lights uh, also join in on seasonal fun, you know, be that, you know, oranges and purples at Halloween or, you know, pastel colors at Easter or just pretty, you know, pale blue colors in the summer in the evenings when you're trying to cool down and you're thinking of the beach or something. Um, So I, I definitely recommend pretty colored lights and getting them in on your automation game. Yeah, I have looked at these nano leaf lights for years and I just can never figure out where I'm going to put them or where I would put them. But now, do they support HomeKit at all or is that your Yeah, yeah, they're fully HomeKit integrated, okay. uh, which is great. Um, and they have a rhythm module, which means that it can listen to music and then play like change color in time with the music. 
Um, but uh, what I really like is inside the app, there is something where you can actually uh, slow it down. So anybody who knows somebody with epilepsy will be aware that fast flashing lights can, you know, potentially cause an epileptic fit, uh, but you can actually change it. So it will still sync in time with the music. It will just go slowly. So it shouldn't tri trigger one of those. Obviously, I'm not a medical professional um, and I'm sure NanoLeaf will still recommend that you, you know, follow whatever medical advice is out there. But I like the fact that that feature actually exists inside of this app because really fast flashing lights just make me feel a bit off sometimes um and if you're sitting there at home then you don't necessarily want it to you know be pretending that it's a 1970s disco um so <laughs> it can be quite nice to have that and you can add in some funky remotes to this stuff as well nanoleaf have one i think it's a dodecahedron um no that's incorrect it's a nine-sided shape um but aquara also have a six-sided cube um and you could just have these set up to ha trigger different scenes and then kind of roll them like dice and just see where they land i would suggest rolling them on a soft surface rather than you know smashing them around on something hard um but you know you can add some cool remotes for your family and uh they'll be able to get in on the automation fun and uh it's really great yeah that might be something i have to look at next year honestly it's it's it, 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 it it really pushes my buttons, but I can't figure out where to put it, but I'll, I'll figure something out. And I lost my studio in 2020. So I can't, I don't even have my own little space that I could just take them. And well, I hung them. I hung these above my sofa. I know uh, in, in your case, you might not be able to hang them, you know, directly above your sofa, but you know, putting them on a wall somewhere near your desk or one of your desks might be a nice place to put them. I will say that these uh, can do sort of sunrise colors and theoretically can help you with waking up but they are exceptionally bright. So uh, you you will, you know, want to take that into account if you're thinking of putting them in the bedroom. Do not set them to 100% brightness when you first wake up in the morning. I did that as a test earlier this week, and even though the lights were on the floor, I still woke up immediately as soon as they turned on. Um, and I'm not a particularly light sleeper at the moment. So I'm, I'm going to hang them over the sofa, so next time you come stay with me, I'll have them to turn on the automator's colors at like 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, thank you, David. My, me and my jet lag will greatly appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, another one that is a very holiday related automation is music. I mean, everybody has like their favorite kind of holiday music, and and why not automate that? Um, I have found for you know, I named my holiday playlist Yule, and I actually I share that. I'll put the sharing link in the um in the show notes. So if you've got Apple music, you can get my Yule playlist. It's all like jazz. So if you like jazz and Christmas music, that may be for you. But anyway, um, for whatever reason, when I yell out to that pretty lady in the little speaker box and I say, play Yule playlist, she never gets it. I don't know what, I think it's because of the name of the playlist. I need to give mm -hmm. it something more unique, like David's super fancy Christmas playlist or something. I don't know. But it just never seems to work. So I have um, taken the combination of my Yule playlist and added a bunch of automation to it. Because starting a playlist in shortcuts is trivial, and your phone is always in your pocket. And since we've got all these new triggers, I've been playing with, this has been kind of my trigger um, experimentation. Uh, I told you that I put a... Um, um, a, an NFC tag by the front door. And yeah. now I've, I've programmed that to start the Yule playlist. So I walk in the door, I slap my phone against the sticker and I get my music uh, to the chagrin of everybody else in my family. But I love it. <laughs> 
That is great. And you can set the playback destination uh, in shortcuts too, which is how I am actually doing uh, one of my uh, evening routines, actually, because I have a, a, an NFC tag next to my bed where I tap my phone on it and it, it uh, triggers dark noise and plays that to the speaker in my bedroom. Well, I, I, I do that and I trigger it to all of the home pods downstairs. So they don't, oh. there's nowhere to rest. Are they them. all paired together? No, there's then? two of them. Because... There. There's two of them there. Oh, together. okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, because you can you can airplay. Unfortunately, this is a, a limitation of shortcuts, uh, which I really wish they would fix, where you can only set one uh, playback destination yeah. inside of shortcuts. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, if you have two home pods downstairs, that makes sense. Yeah, that works. So, speaking of uh, NFC, I actually have a, a recommendation. It's kind of more of a gift than uh, something you might want to do yourself, but I, I can see why. You know, people would also want NFC tags for themselves. You know, if you're thinking, oh, you know, there are some things I'd really like to automate. And, you know, David and Rose have kind of got me going here with, you know, what I could do with some NFC tags. You just scan, you know, you can have a blank NFC tag or you can use bank cards, ID cards, anything that's got an NFC chip in it uh, to read that in shortcuts um, to trigger uh, um, an automation. So I used to use my ID card at work when I was still, you know, going to an office to help me trigger my work time tracking. So I would keep track of, you know, what I was doing work-wise. Um, but an, a great thing that you could do is buy some NFC tags or stickers. Uh, now, I should note there there is a, a, a series of standards, uh, as always, which apply to NFC tags. Uh, usually, if it says 213, that means that these are a one-time writable uh, chip, and 215s are rewritable. So just like CDR and CDRWs uh, or floppy disks after you've taken the uh, chip out. Um so check before you buy if you think that you're going to want to potentially, uh, you know, write stuff to these. Um, but I have actually been writing to NFC tags. Now, oh, Micah really? Sargent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So doing? I've, I've, I, Micah Sargent uh, showed me an app called NFC Tools. We'll put a link in the show notes, um, which um, is a great app that you can use on your iPhone to write stuff to NFC tags. And so I have a little photo frame um, in my in my living room. Um, and it's got um, the name and password for my Wi-Fi in it. It's also got a QR code that you can scan. But if you tap your phone to the QR code, it'll help you join the Wi-Fi because it's got the username and the password encrypted in it in the same kind of format that you would use for a QR code, but obviously NFC-based. Uh, so if you tap your phone to that, then that can help people join the Wi-Fi. But one that I really like the idea of, okay, is send, say, for example, your mom or your grandma a photo of you um, in, a in a frame. But stick an NFC tag behind your head and then program it so that when they tap their phone on it, it'll suggest it'll pop up to call you. Now, you don't need to use shortcuts for this. You can actually just program this in NFC tools. You can have, um, you know, like contact information and just type it in there so that they can just call your number. And that I think is amazing, especially if, for example, you know that a family member is going to be getting um, an, an iPhone for for this holiday season, then it you know, send them some photos of different people and have NFC tags behind it so that they can just tap on the person to call them. That's amazing. That that feels like magic where they just, you know, tap the phone on the person and it calls them. Um, and you can also, of course, stick them, stick NFC tags in all the places yourself to uh, call people. I 
may have gone a little bit further, David. I have lots of NFC tags. I bought some little chip ones. They're not stickers. They're just kind of like very thin coins. And then I bought a a roll of labels for my label maker, which is just slightly smaller in diameter than the chip. And so I'm now printing labels to stick on my NFC chips um, so that I know which one does uh, before I decide exactly where I'm going to stick. Now, are you primarily using them to call? Because those are two great examples of why you would want to write to an NFC tag. But honestly, I can't think of any others. Um, yeah. So most of the time for me personally, I'm not doing that. I'm just leaving them blank and then using them to trigger shortcuts um, yeah. because that works for me. And some of these shortcuts, you know, because if you use these with shortcuts on your iPhone, now you can also write a shortcuts URL to one of these tags with the, with the app NFC tools. Um, but uh, the problem with that is then everybody has to have the same shortcut. so that 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 might not work super well and personally i would recommend against writing a shortcuts url to an nfc chip especially if it's a one-time write if it's rewritable then sure by all means go ahead um but if it's a one-time write i would not do it just use so what shortcuts does i believe is it reads the id of the tag so it should never you know run into the case of oh and this one also happens to trigger this other thing um which i wasn't intending for it to do yeah, I want to wind back just a little bit, though. This is not holiday theme, but well, maybe it is if you have people over your house. The idea that you could say, just tap this with your phone and it's going to connect you to my guest Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you did that. Okay, so um, there is, there's a whole bunch of different websites out there where you can generate a QR code yeah. for your Wi-Fi and you type in the username and the password. Yeah. NFC Tools works in pretty much the same way. It, it asks you um, for the the name of the network. Uh, so if you tap on right and then you, you need to go to add record, then you scroll down until you find Wi-Fi network. Then you type, you select the kind of authentication that you have. So that could be WPA personal, WPA2 personal, enterprise, yeah. all of that. Um, and uh, your encryption, which is probably, um, you know, AES or whatever. Then you type in the name of your network and your password. Then you tap OK. And when it's got all the required fields, then it will go ahead and actually uh, just, you know, write it to the NFC tag for you. And then when you connect, it should just pop up and do things. At least in my experiments, it's worked super well. So there's nothing we need to do on the recipient iPhone. It'll just connect as long as you set up the tag. Yeah, because it's reading the information in that NFC tag. All right. And also, I should note to people, information written to an NFC tag overrides, you know, the ID of the NFC tag. Sure. So, for example, if, you, if you've if written something to an NFC tag, um, then, so say, for example, you write, uh, you know, connecting to the Wi-Fi network to it, and then you also want to use it to trigger an automation on your iPhone, every time you tap your phone to that tag, it will do both, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take take that that uh warning with a rain or you know and figure out you know how you want to use this well i mean we've got this little funny little yoda statue in our room and i was thinking mm-hmm. this would be perfect it's light i could stick one of these to the bottom of it and when people come over and say you want to get on the wi-fi just say tap the yoda and then yeah i'm gonna get one so i it's official i've now spent money on this episode ha <laughs> ha Send, send yes, me links, David, Rose. you fell into send your own links. trap. Yep. Yep. Well, they're they're in the show notes. Um, so hopefully everybody will be able to find them. Yeah, I've got it. So I've got NFC because I do have NFC tags I've been using, but I have not written to them yet. And that is yeah. a, a very good use case scenario for me. And also, of course, the one you talked about is really good too for someone that, you know, doesn't, you know, 
someone that's a little more tech challenged, the idea they tap their phone against a picture and it calls somebody that is kind of nice. Yeah. And I, I love it. I love having NFC tags dotted around that I can just sort of tap my phone on and it will, you know, go ahead and remind me that, hey, you only have, you know, another 25 minutes here at the sofa because you need to, you know, go and prep for automators or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, so I have them around in places that I frequently put my phone. Yeah. Because then stuff do, does just happen, which is great. So. Yeah. I use them for a lot of like contextual stuff where like I want to set a timer and work on an app and do things. So in, in a specific location. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always great. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Fastscripts. What's the point in automating all these tedious tasks in your life if you don't have instant access to these automations right at the tip of your fingers? Fastscripts is a supercharged script menu for your Mac that makes it easy to organize and run scripts. By defining global or app-specific keyboard shortcuts, you can customize the behaviors of all your most used Mac apps. You can even use it to override the default keyboard shortcuts in many apps. The best part is Fastscripts is completely free to use with up to 10 keyboard shortcuts, so you can use it as a quick fix for your most urgent needs. And then when you decide you want more than 10 shortcuts, unlock premium functionality with a one-time payment of $25. Fastscripts is really useful for helping you get into the habits of using some of these because I know I've written loads of scripts over the years, but unless they're easily accessible, I'm just not going to use it. And that means that you should probably be using it as well if you're not already, because if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely have automations you should be running. And I also really like the fact that it comes with a whole bunch of Apple scripts already, which means that if you're like me, yes, you could probably code an Apple script, but let's be honest, it's much easier to copy and paste the bits that you need from different scripts, stick it all together, and there you go. So Fastscripts is a bonus repository as well. Listeners to the Automators podcast can get 20% off for a limited time. So go to fastscripts.app slash auto now to access the exclusive Automators discount coupon. That's fastscripts.app slash auto for 20% off. Our thanks to Fastscripts for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right. Uh, I've got one that is really been useful this year. We got some holiday cards. I don't know. Do people do that in the UK? I assume they do. It feels like that's yeah, where yeah, this all do. started. Yeah. The um, But, you know, we we share holiday cards with friends and family and we really enjoy it. It's like a family dinner time ritual to look through the cards that came through that day. And, uh, we always enjoy them unless you send us a long letter and then we make fun of you and, uh, and laugh at you, but otherwise we're good. And, but then we always get in this discussion, like remember that year they sent that one card and we want to talk about it, but then we can never actually see it. So what we, we do is, um, we, you know, we keep the cards and then we get rid of them at, after Christmas, you know, I think we just throw them away yeah. and, uh, cause you can't keep all that stuff. And I got thinking this year, let's find a way to keep copies of this. And I, I did write a book called paperless, you know, so of course I've got some ideas on it, but I wanted to put together a simple automation where anybody in the family could do it. Um, so what I did was I installed, um, scan pro plus, it used to be called scan bot, but now it's scan pro plus, but I, they changed the name. Um, but it's a really good scanning app that can go on your phone. And my wife and I are the only people to do it. The kids will never bother. Um, but scan pro plus has the ability to save to a, um, with a token, you can tokenize the name. So I token right. the name holiday into the name. And then I have a, a shared folder we save to. And 
that's a shared folder in iCloud. So I'm using, I've been using some of these iCloud shared features that just came out this year and they're, they're working fine. So we have a shared folder, it goes in there. And then I have on my Mac, Hazel, looking at that folder for anything with the name Holiday in it. And then it processes it and puts it into a folder, sorts it into a, a separate folder that has a um, sort into subfolder command. Hazel does a really cool thing where you can add a command to say, take this file and put it into a subfolder. And um, you can do it by date. Now, by default, Hazel is going to want to make the date the day that you of the file. So the exact date, but you can modify that to just be the month or the year. And I modify it to just be the year. And then I've got now a collection started of these cards going into a folder that sorts them by year. And all it takes, the only, you know, overhead was just teaching my wife how to use scan pro plus. And, and, and to be honest, I do most of the scanning anyway, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure I even needed to do that, but the, um, uh, it's it's just a really nice workflow that automatically sorts and saves the cards. So then after we toss them at, after the new year, we'll still have access to them. That that's great. I I wish my family had done that. My my parents have always kept the cards from the year and put them in the box with the Christmas tree, and then the next year they pull them out and use that as the reference list of people that they should definitely be sending cards to. Um, and it's also meant that in the case of you know the a couple of relatives who have sadly passed away, that you know we still had the last Christmas card they sent us, which then goes into a sort of permanent you know, collection, which is displayed every year, um, which is quite a nice way to keep those people with us. But having a scanned copy of those cards as well would be great. So I'm going to be telling my parents about this app because I think that they should really be doing that with some of these because not everybody's going to be around forever. And it's always nice to be able to look back. Yeah. And and the only uh, hassle with it is, is you've got to have Hazel if you want to do the auto sorting feature. But honestly, you, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't need to do that either. Really. You could just save to a folder. It'd be fine. Like you could. Yeah. You could date stamp it in the name, and you really don't need the Hazel yeah. part on the back end, but because I can't help myself, I put it in. Yeah, yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so uh, you're talking about holiday cards. I'm going to go with holiday wallpaper. Uh, not the kind that you stick on your wall, though if you if you want to do that, by all means, figure out how to automate it and let me know. Yeah. But if you are running the iOS 14.3 beta, then I have a suggestion for you. And David, I'm sure you're running the beta at this point. So what my suggestion is, is create a folder and fill it with seasonal wallpaper for your iPhone, for your iPad, etc. And then have a shortcut, choose one at random every day, have it automatically run nice and early in the morning, and then your lock screen every day will be a different seasonal wallpaper. And I'm going to include a shortcut here in the show notes for people, uh, which I've written, which just pulls a random file out. Now, because it's random, that means that this can repeat. Um, But you can actually do the same thing on the Mac with um, uh, Hazel. That can do, you know, that can set your wallpaper as can Automator. And I believe even Kubo Maestro can do that. I would be very surprised if it couldn't. Um, But the other thing you can do, so I've just written a shortcut that can set a random one, but you could also name each individual wallpaper with, you know, the, the, say, number of the, the day of the month. So, you know, if this was slightly earlier in the month, then you could go through one through 25 or whatever it is that you like. And then you can have it just find the file with that day's, you know, the the date um, of the day 
uh, is the number and then uh, set that as your wallpaper to avoid repeats if you wanted to or potentially delete them once it's set the wallpaper. There's a whole bunch of different things you can do. But I am enjoying a new festive wallpaper every day. I just Googled and found some nice ones for my iPhone. So I've currently got uh, some some nice blue snowflakes uh, drifting down onto what looks like it must be Santa's grotto. There you go. And of course, Santa has a grotto. He should. Of course he deserves he it. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I, I think that this whole idea of changing wallpaper automatically is something that, you know, we didn't have for such a long time and now it's going to show up. I, I'm very curious to see how people use it. Like I had this whole plan of like building a daily wallpaper with my calendar and all this other stuff. But like, as we talked about in the widgets show, I don't think that's necessary anymore, but, um, making the automatic wallpaper selection, do something like give your phone a holiday theme and you could, I could see several holidays over the year. You would want to do this or even like yes. seasonal, you know, like you could have fall mm-hmm. and winter um, would be kind of fun. Yeah. And the other thing that I have been doing, which I have disabled for the time being um, is I've also been setting my wallpaper to what I'm doing at the, at the moment. So usually right now, because we're recording automators, David, I would have the automators wallpaper on my iPhone. So if it lit up, then I'd see automators behind the notifications. Yeah. Um, but because um, I, I, I'm i setting my wallpaper, what I, uh, I'm considering doing, I have not yet done, but what I'm considering doing is writing into DataJar the date that my wallpaper was uh, last changed by a very specific change wallpaper due to a theme day. Um, and then if it if it's changed it that day, then it won't do the context contextual wallpaper. And if it if it has uh, and if it hasn't, then it will do contextual wallpaper type thing. Uh, but I have not yet done that. I've just disabled my automations to uh, change the wallpaper in other cases. So normally what you would do then is just have it look for a calendar event. Like if you had a major work project or in your case, a podcast. And then mm-hmm. you would. Well, I usually use uh, actually NFC tags when I okay. start recording or doing something to do things like time tracking and set do not disturb based on my calendar event, etc. And then, you know, if I say that I'm doing automators, it sets the automators wallpaper for me, but not right now. That would be nice. Like in my case, I really try to record podcasts on different days. I feel like, uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of a high energy thing and doing a bunch in a row doesn't really help. So, like if it yeah, was MPU difficult. day. And I could have it check the calendar for a cal- if, if there's a calendar entry that says MPU something something, then set the wallpaper to the MPU, you know, artwork or yeah. on Automator's Day switch. That would be kind of fun. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to play with that, Rose. You, you've inspired me again. <laughs> well, there we go. At least it was free this time. Yeah. Um, one that uh, a problem I have, uh, my wife and I, uh, our love Christmas, we're really into it. I mean, I made a field guide about gift wrap and I already told you that I kick everybody out of the room when I put lights on a tree. But so we, we like buying gifts for people too. And we found that we're not the best at communicating that stuff. And then we go to wrap presents and we're like, Hey, here's something really cool. I bought so-and-so and she may have bought them the same or something very similar. And, you know, we just, we don't communicate enough on that. And I just wanted, and, and both of us like fly off the handle when it comes to Christmas shopping. So the problem for us really isn't like making a list of what we're going to buy people. The problem is once we go to start buying stuff, we go crazy. And um, so I wanted to try and solve that. I wanted to have an updatable list of what we had both bought. So before you buy something, you could check it to make sure the other person hadn't bought something similar already or whatever. And um, I wanted to use some automation, but my spouse is not particularly into 
you know, automation. So um, this is what I came up with. Um, I, I made a shortcut and it is a, um, it's, it's collecting two variables and I, I save it as an app on the home screen. So she can just tap it. She doesn't have to open up shortcuts and it, it'll, it first is a choose from list and it's a list of all the people we buy gifts for. So first you're grabbing the name of the person. And mm-hmm. then you're then you type in what it is you just bought. And so, you know, right. Rosemary, you know, new home kit, you know, switches and, um, and then you hit enter and then it saves it with an append to note in Apple notes in a shared note. We have a shared note between us for the gifts we bought. And it just appends to that note that append is important there. You don't want it to rewrite the note. You want it to just add to the note. And it does a great yeah. job, and it and I format it so it says Rosemary dash new you know home kit switches, and so then that updates automatically, and because of the magic of Note, Apple Notes sharing, it updates automatically on both phones. So when either one of us goes to buy something, all she has to do is check the Apple Note, and then after she's done buying something, just run this the little shortcut script. She doesn't even know it's a shortcut. You know, she doesn't know what it is. She's you know doesn't occur to her it's a thing yeah it's a thing she pushes the button she fills it out and it it really has helped this year i i'm really pleased to hear that that is great have you considered adding uh, an emoji to the start of each one so you know who's bought what just in case you know there there is some overlap and she can go david we shouldn't have got rosemary the new home kit switches i got her uh you know a series of home pods or something like Uh, that uh, you know a six pack of home pods Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I don't even have I don't even have six rooms to put HomePods in, uh, and I've got I, I nearly have a HomePod for each room. I'm currently missing the hallway and the bathroom. The bedroom, I believe, is being dispatched at the moment because uh, shortly before we started recording, Apple billed me. Uh, so yeah, that HomePod Mini is on the way. All right, good. Um, the um, yeah. my daughter got one. They're pretty nice. Yeah, they they sound pretty good actually. At least mine does in my kitchen. Yeah, so I'm pleased with it. I'm used to the to the big one, but you know, oh, yeah. but you know, it really is the thing. If you're into the Apple ecosystem, that's the one you want. If you want, so you, you don't need something with a super great speaker, but you know, you want to spend a hundred bucks. I mean, all these people are like putting themselves in knots over. Do I get the, you know, do I get the one from Amazon? Do I get the one from Apple? It just depends on what ecosystem you're in. That's all. Yeah. Um, yep. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that, that's an automation that's working good. Um, next year, like I had thought about different ways of doing this. I thought, well, maybe I could make an air table. I'm like, my wife is never going to work with an air table. That is like, just not going to happen. Yeah. And, um, so Apple notes seemed like the obvious choice. Um, I think what I would do next year, and this really isn't automator is like, we also often sit down and talk about gift ideas is for that destination note where we do the append stuff. I think I would use the top of the note just to write down the ideas we had. And yeah. then then I would append to the bottom of it what we actually bought. And uh, maybe there's a better way to do it. But the, the the point is I'm working with someone here who is not going to lift a finger. You know, <laughs> you know I have to make it as easy as possible for her to interact with. And um, that, that, yeah. that's what I came up with. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You've got to make it easy for other people to work with. Um, and so speaking of, uh, purchasing, uh, items for people and things like that, uh, I have been working, uh, this year on, uh, automatically handling my email specifically in response to things that I've ordered, things that have been dispatched and things that have been delivered. Now I note that Amazon sends me 
a lot of email on this. And of course, I can just filter this out at the server level, but especially when it comes to dispatch and delivery emails, I don't want them gone immediately. I want them gone about 24 hours after they appear in my mailbox. So I'm using uh, Apple Mail uh, for this. And what I'm doing is I've written a series of rules, um, which you can do in Apple Mail. And then I have Keyboard Maestro activate itself at one o'clock in the morning. It opens Mail. Uh, Mail is pretty much always in the inbox for me. So I will note that this would not work if it was not in the in, in the inbox. But I usually tend to close Mail afterwards and I'm, I'm in the inbox anyway. So that's all good. Um, and uh, so I have it do command A, and then there's a, a, a menu command, which is, um, well, I use command alt L. That's what my keyboard maestro macro does. And that applies my mail rules. So mail rules, you can create them and they will automatically run on incoming email if it meets the criteria. But if one of my rules requires that the, the date received is less than, or sorry, is greater than one days old, then it's not going to be able to run when it gets the mail and it won't run automatically again, you know, every couple of minutes to check whether or not a message now matches its criteria. So instead I have it do that and then it just automatically gets rid of all of the all of the old dispatch emails and the old, old uh, delivery emails. So if there is a problem that, you know, I'll still find it very quickly scrolling through my inbox, but I've been really working on trying to keep my inbox much cleaner. Um, and this is helping me massively with that. And it also would mean that I could potentially forward them elsewhere. So I do have uh, dispatch, uh, sorry, I have order emails automatically get forwarded to deliveries, the June Cloud app, uh, which helps uh, keep track of those. And then and then they get uh, a, a color to show that they've been handled and that they are in deliveries. Yeah, Apple Mail rules have so much promise, but so often they break your heart. Like something yeah. silly happens and they just don't run when you you look at it and it looks like it should run. And what you find out is there's all these conditions that you don't even know exist. Um, a related app, Mail, uh, was it a, uh, what's it called? A small cubed is the name. Oh, Mail Act On and yeah. Mail Tags. They just released their update for the M1 Max and for Big Sur. So if you want to like power up Apple Mail, that's what I would recommend using. Mail Act on in particular allows you to do some more stuff with mail rules that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, like apply to outgoing and doing some other stuff. But yeah, I I get where you're coming from. Part of me wishes Apple would just put those all those powerful rules in the cloud, but also yeah. part of me acknowledges that they will just never do that. I just yeah. don't think that's ever going to I mean, happen. it's also great because I don't necessarily have to use Apple Mail as my primary mail client in order to use these rules because yeah. I can just have it running in the background. Um, and that's pretty much what I do. Uh, it's just there and it's running in the background. It automatically handles stuff for me. I could have it run more frequently, you know, apply all rules more frequently than just once a day at 1 a.m. But I'm rarely using my Mac at 1 a.m. Yeah. Um, and so it opening up mail, doing command A, command L, and then hiding mail again is not a problem for me. Um, and it just gets on with it and then stuff disappears. And because of the wonder of IMAP, it happens to disappear everywhere, which is great. So if you're still using Pop, I would highly recommend upgrading. Yeah. No, I mean, who, who uses Pop these days? I mean, honestly. There are, there are some people who uh, who are concerned about, you know, privacy and so on. And so by downloading the email, it's no longer on other servers to still be accessed, um, which, you know, is good. But it's also been through a whole bunch of servers up until that point. So I am not completely sold on the security benefit of Pop over IMAP. Yeah. And it's extraordinarily inconvenient because you're either yeah. going to get the same email copy to all your devices, but 
they're not going to know that or you're only going to get your email on one device. It's like Yeah. So so in March this year when I came back to the UK, my mom was saying, "I'm having some really weird issues with email." Um, you know, the stuff is always on my iPhone, but then when I turn my Mac on, um it it, it like all my email disappears and I don't understand why. So I looked yeah. at her map and Mac and it was still using Pop. I thought Gmail turned off Pop. Uh, but apparently for her account, it was still active. And I have no idea. I know I set that up using the, you know, the standard Google settings uh, that Mail has um, on, on Mac OS. So I've got no idea how she managed to change that over to Pop. And as always, she swears she didn't touch it. But I'm not 100% convinced that she didn't do something. Yeah. Well, and that's always like we're near the holidays. And historically, we would be visiting family. I don't know if that'll happen this year or not. But mm. That's when you discover all the technology problems in your family. And so yes. often, if you have a, f an, a family member who is not tech savvy and they have an email problem, it's because they have a, um, a internet uh, service company like a cable company or whoever who still has pop email and they don't know yep. any better and they're just using pop. And they, they may even have a way to switch it over to IMAP on their server, but they just don't bother. And it's like, I, so there's been several family members where I've fixed their email and they think I'm a genius. All I did was switch it from pop to IMAP. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a great fix when you can offer it. Uh, sometimes, you know, they have deeper problems than the wrong configuration settings for things, but that's a story for another day. All right, let's talk about our next sponsor. And that's our friends over at woven the calendar with the most powerful scheduling tools. Try it free for 21 days. Just go to the link in our show notes today to get that trial. Look, we're all trying to manage our calendars and it's hard. And the more disorganized you get, the more it impacts your work and your ability to get things done. Using a great calendar is important to your workflow because it helps you stay on target. Woven syncs all of your calendars in one place, including your Google, G Suite, and Microsoft 365 accounts. So you can see all of your time, both personal and professional, in one place. Woven builds scheduling links directly into your calendar so you can use one-off scheduling links. You can quickly time block your week using Woven smart templates so you can plan your perfect week. And it's that time blocking that helps you avoid that disorganized feeling. I can tell you I time block and it makes a huge difference. Woven also has built-in analytics so you can easily calculate where you spend your time so you can make time for what matters most. You really need to check this out. Take control of your calendar to improve your workflows. And as a listener of the automators, you can try Woven free for 21 days. Go to woven.com or click on the link in the show notes. Once again, that's woven, W-O-V-E-N.com to check it out. Our thanks to Woven for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So David... We have a new year coming up, at least, you know, according to many calendars. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to automate that? Yeah, I, I thought it would be fun to talk in relation to holidays. I think the new year always brings this sense of renewal. And I know that it's very popular for the nerds to say we don't do anything for New Year's and, you know, New Year's resolutions are a bad idea. Um, I do think that that's generally true, <laughs> especially if you decide you're going to change your whole life. You know, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, start meditating and change my job and everything and hang that on a New Year's resolution. But what you can do to make a difference in your life is habits. And I think small habits can make a huge difference. And I, I'm thinking about that for myself. And I've never been very good at tracking habit change digitally. I use an analog system for that, but I wanted to look into digital tools for it. So 
I began this quest about a month ago of downloading and trying a bunch of habit apps. And I decided I don't like any of them. Some of them are just ugly and a lot of them don't really have the features I want. Um, so I, I wanted to figure out a way to track habits. And ultimately I decided that I was just going to do it in OmniFocus, you know, um, and that sounds a little silly, I think, but it's perfect for that. I created a custom perspective for habits and the habits are tied to each area of my life. So like I have habits that I'm trying to work on as a father uh, versus habits I'm trying to work on as Max Barkey. And for a lot of the areas of your life, you know, habits are really the measure of how you improve. I mean, as a dad, I don't have a lot of like specific projects. My kids are old enough that I'm not working on, you know, the, you know, the paper mache project with my kids. But um, there are certain habits that I could have as a dad that could really impact my role, my kids and my ability to be a dad. So, so I've built these habits into OmniFocus. So what I've done is I've created them as repeating tasks. Um, they all fall under a specific perspective that looks for habits based on role. Um, and it's very easy to automate this process of just having a custom perspective. You open it up, you see it. I've got morning habits and night habits. That was one of my complaints with a lot of these habit apps. Uh, there are habits that you want to work on that, you know, parts of them only happen at certain times of the day, like brush my teeth and floss at night. There's one in the morning, but there's also one at night, but I don't want to be looking at that all day in my habit app. Mm -mm. With OmniFocus, I'm able to, through the clever use of perspectives, just see the ones that I want and are appropriate to me. And then you can also set start times to them. And it's been working out really good for me. The other you know, thing that habit apps do that, um, that OmniFocus it isn't really made to do as a habit app is give you reminders of when to do things. And you can tie reminders of specific tasks in OmniFocus, but I didn't want to get that granular. So I just, in shortcuts, made a reminder in the morning, at late morning and early evening to check in on my habit perspectives in OmniFocus. And mm -hmm. I've been doing that for about a month and now I don't need the, I'm going to turn those off because now I just do it. It's kind of become a habit, you know, a habit to yeah. check my habits. Um, so I can turn that off, but I, I felt like that was kind of an automation method to solve that problem that I wouldn't yeah. have otherwise used. Yeah. Are you using the repeats based on, are you doing, you know, things with defer dates rather than due dates or? Yeah. Yeah. No uh, due dates. Yeah. No due dates. All yeah, yeah. defer based on start date. And, um, some of them are like, they're not all everyday habits, you know, and with OmniFocus, it's very flexible. Like, yeah. Um, there's a member of my family that I felt like the only time I was talking to that person was when we had to do some kind of business. You know, we had to arrange a meeting or a birthday gift or something. And I was losing touch with that person as a person. So now I have a, a three week um, repeat on calling him and just kind of yeah. calling him with no agenda, you know, and things like that. Yeah. So, so you can set them as flexible as you want in OmniFocus. And, you know, if you don't use OmniFocus, what, you know, choose your poison here or get a habit app. But I, I, I used kind of an automator solution to this and now I need one less app and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I kind of like the idea of, um, uh, because you have that shortcut alert and, uh, OmniFocus relatively recently got some really great shortcut support where you can pull stuff out. Um, so I kind of like the idea of checking whether or not there's anything that's, you know, available with your, your habit tag and then only t telling you to go check it if there is, 
you know, something that's available. So then if you're doing well, you don't get a reminder. But if you're you're not doing so well and you've got reminder, you know, you've got habits that need completing, then it'll pop up and say, hey, you know, you, you've got 15 habits that you're supposed to be checking off or however many, uh, you know, get in there and, you know, opening it up. Uh, hopefully not 15 brand new ones all at once. That sounds like a bit of a, a recipe for a bit of a mess. So so the way I do that is um, I, in the what used to be called the today view screen, the screen to the immediate left of your home screen, mm-hmm. I have a large OmniFocus widget there, but it's, yep. it's multiple instances of the OmniFocus widget. If I scroll through them, one is Max Barkey, one is legal, and one is habits. Right. And I just can swipe through those and see whatever is on you know, available to me right now. Yes. And uh, that's been working out really good. OmniFocus did a nice job. Uh, they did a lot of customization with their widget. So you can actually set the font size, which is, yeah. so you can make it as small as you want if you've got a lot of stuff on there. Hopefully not too much in your task manager, but it's there for you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, speaking of habits, one of the things I have been struggling with a bit is getting up in the mornings. Um, it, you know, it's that time of year where at least in the Northern Hemisphere, our clocks have gone back. Um, and uh, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, our clocks have gone backwards, and you know, things are a bit darker all all around. It it seems like I'm spending a lot of my life in the dark, which is not so great. Um, but uh, one of the ways I've been solving this, I've got a couple of different ways. I've mentioned my smart blinds in a recent in a recent episode, um, and. Uh, Opening those automatically is great, but they do have a motor in them and they kind of go mm, when they open. Yeah. It's not super loud, but it, it could be enough to wake some people up. Um, but what most smart lights can, of course, do is turn on. And uh, thanks to the wonder of shortcuts, personal automations. If you look at the sleep, uh, then uh, there is a waking up trigger. And this can run entirely automatically, just like the time-based ones. But I like the sleep one because occasionally I adjust my my wake-up time. Um, And if I adjust my wake-up time, then this will also get adjusted. And I have it turn on uh, a lamp, um, quite dim in a very yellow color. Um, Just so uh, these are unfortunately right next to my bed. Um, If they're a bit further away from your bed, even so turning on a light on a very dim setting in HomeKit is still very bright when everything else is dark. Um, So you might find that you can do a more gradual wake up if your lights are further away from the bed. In my case, I just turn them on quite dimly. um, And then um, when I stop my alarm, I have the blinds automatically open and it run a good morning uh, scene for me, uh, which, you know, also does a couple of other things. Um, because, you know, it, it's, it's good to turn on the lights because just opening the blinds right now does not necessarily guarantee light. Um, as I discovered this morning when I woke up early, I thought I'll just open the blinds and then realized that made absolutely no difference to the light levels in my bedroom. I checked on, I checked, uh, cause the Philips Hue motion sensor has a uh, light levels. And so I checked it. I, I closed the blinds again and checked afterwards and the light level remained exactly the same with the blinds closed as it did with the blinds open. Yeah. What time does the sun actually come up around your, around your house? <sighs> uh, that is a good question. I'm not 100% sure right now. If uh, it, I, I will note it's been very foggy here recently, which has, of course, made it uh, much more difficult to see the sun just because it's that much more diffused. Um, it says daylight is from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah, give or take. Man, that is rough. You, you're so you're farther north than me. I mean, the time I spent yeah. in your area was also in January, and it was cold and dark. And honestly, I don't know how you get out of bed. I mean, if someone put me in your area with like an electric blanket, I would not be out of bed until like nine. I just don't see how I, it would be possible. 
Oh, my electric blanket automatically turns off when I get into bed. Uh, just because otherwise I end up roasting myself. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, so the, um, yeah, cause we get sun at like six 30 and I just wake up through yeah. that uh, without opening the blinds, just the sun on the blinds is enough to wake me up. But yeah, I get it. Um, well, it sounds like you've got a, a good system for it. I, yes. I just use the watch tapping. That's a big deal for me because I have another person in bed. Oh, I, 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 have, don't wanna... I have that as well. Um, but, you know, especially <laughs> you if you're too. both getting. Yeah, yeah. So because I'm using the, the sleep feature in the health app, um, yeah. you know, that that's um, that's how I'm getting the waking up with the lights turning on. And then when I turn the alarm off, then it opens the blinds. Now, I can do this because I live on my own, but you could probably also do this if Either your partner sleeps like they're dead, um, because some people can sleep through pretty much anything until it's time for them to get up, or if you're the person who's getting up later, or you both get up at the same time, give or take. Um, you know, so I have a chat with other people in your house about that, but I find it's quite useful. Speaking of smart blinds, David, I set my parents up with smart blinds this uh this weekend. It was oh, great. Really? They're really they're really excited. I kept it super simple though. The blinds automatically close at uh, nine thirty at night. If nobody's open, they automatically open at eight AM. Uh, because my mom is quite a light sleeper, and if she does manage to sleep late one day, I do not want to be on the receiving end of a slightly grumpy phone call because the blinds opening woke her up. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, and so if they, if people are home, they don't open automatically. But then, when my parents put up the blind in the bedroom, there these are IKEA blinds, so there's a button in every room. Then it puts up the blinds in the other two rooms for them as well, so that they only need to open one blind. And uh, they're really happy. And my mom was super excited because uh, their Apple TV, for some reason, hadn't been functioning as a HomeKit hub. And now it does because I actually installed the updates. Pro tip, folks, if, if something's not working and you're using an Apple TV as a home hub, install the updates. It makes a difference. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so, uh, she, uh, you know, uh, she 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 went out and disconnected from the Wi-Fi network uh, while she was at the grocery store and then messaged me to say, I think the blinds are closing. Are the blinds closing? Because she tested it and it worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that was great. So I'm re I'm really happy that they're very excited by this. So. Well, I mean, 2020 had its downsides, but the upside was that was the year that IKEA democratized automatic blinds. You know, they oh yeah they yeah yeah came out with something that is HomeKit compatible and not ridiculously expensive. So yeah, I still haven't bought any though. Yeah, I I tried to get some some motors. I have vertical blinds in in my lounge where I've got French doors or or window doors, as the French call them. Funnily enough, um, and uh, so really? I've they got uh, I've got <laughs> yeah yeah they do pot finette. Uh, so I've got a cord and a chain. Um, and the cord opens the blinds and the chain rotates the blinds. And so I thought, you know, I will try buying some motors for these and just seeing. First of all, the motors are huge. Secondly, they're really loud. Thirdly, they don't work very well. So guess what? I'm returning to Amazon <laughs> because yeah. I, I was just very disappointed. So if I want smart blinds in my living room, I'm going to have to come up with something else. Um, I, I should probably try Sumfy or or whatever the the the, the brand is um, that that makes those um, the the good ones because these were just uh, Toya ones that I found on Amazon. Uh, they were on sale, so I decided to to jump in and give it a go for for the sake of the show. And uh, I was horrendously disappointed. I am very sad to say. Yeah, the only way those would work, they'd have to be heavy because they're using the friction to move the yeah. rope, right? They're manually pulling the rope. Yeah, yeah, yeah but uh, they're also just humongous. It feels like they've got massive batteries inside them, but you have to plug them in for them to work. Yeah. So, yeah, it, no yeah. yeah it, it was not great. Um, another one, another automation I would recommend as you hit the new year is something I've been prattling on a lot about at Mac power users lately is this idea of contextual computing. 
Um, I did a, a video on it for the uh, Keyboard Maestro field guide. And it's just the the idea, and this was something I really uh, adopted wholeheartedly in the past year, is this idea of removing intermediate steps in my computing. And there's a lot of reasons why this is now possible. Uh, one of which is, you know, the abundance of URL linking and deep linking that involve, that, that's in all apps anymore. Um, where you can like jump to a dev and think document and then over to a draft, a drafts draft. And you can have all that stuff connected and talking to each other with these URL links. And uh, so you create shortcuts or keyboard maestro scripts or however you want to do it. I'm using conflict palettes as my main kind of way of doing this. But um, now when I work on my computer, I can go straight from idea to task. I mean, just as an idea, as an example, today, when we're prepping for today's show, I just hit um, control option command M, which is Max Sparky land. And then I tap F, which is, I'm sorry, A, I was thinking about focused. I tap A for automators, and that gives me a list of all my automator tasks. And I tap G, and it takes me to the Google Doc for the show. And so it's M-A-G, and I'm into the show outline. At, yep. no, at no point do I get stuck in opening the browser and saying, oh, there's something shiny. Oh, look, there's something on sale at Amazon that Rose told me about that now I need to buy. I just go straight from the idea to doing the work. And I'm doing this on iOS and Mac very successfully. And I'm just really happy with this workflow that it's kind of evolving for me. But almost all the work I do anymore, there are no intermediate steps and maybe we should do a whole show on this, or I don't know. At some point, we have to go into it deeper because there's a lot of different ways to pull this off. But the trick is having some sort of automation mechanism and using links. And if you start applying this in your life, it will make a difference. And th- that's something I would recommend you try heading into the new year. Yes. Yeah. I've been experimenting a lot with Stream Deck myself to uh, really, you know, make full use of it. So I have an automators button. I have a nested folders button. I've got a screencast online button. I've even got a button, David, for my mastermind group, which just opens the Zoom call and uh, also opens our, our doc where we keep track of our goals and everything. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just really nice to have that. Um, and uh, I also have uh, TJ Luoma's Fantastic Pal, uh, which is currently smiling at me because we are uh, getting to uh, wrapping up I, or in the not too distant future. Um, but uh, yes, my next automation or our final automation is uh, more about um, optimism and, uh, you know, 2021 being a new year. Um, and one of my, my, my personal goals, of course, is to save as much energy as possible. Now, obviously, I have, you know, my Mac Mini running all the time. I have a Plex server, things like that. So I am, in many ways, not being the most energy efficient that I can be. But I am doing my best to keep track of my energy usage and also turn things off when I can, which means all of my heaters are plugged into smart outlets. So if I'm sitting in my office, guess what? I'm not heating the rest of the house until half an hour before lunch, at which point I will heat the living room, which is adjacent to the kitchen. Um, But I'll only do that if the windows aren't open. And so I have been going through creating a whole bunch of shortcuts to log the usage of different devices. So for example, my washing machine, I look how often I use it and things like that and how much energy it's used. Um, Same with the tumble dryer and things like that. And, you know, the dehumidifier and so on. I'm not logging, you know, when I turn on each individual light bulb, um, but it's amazing what you can automate 
and look automatically thanks to HomeKit. So when I turn the TV on, I automatically, um, you know, lock that. And then I send a push cut notification to my phone to say, hey, uh, you know, do you want to start logging entertainment time? Because I'm trying to, to lock the time that I spend relaxing as well as the time that I spend working because I just want it to be a habit. So I have a good balance in my life and I can see that I have a good balance in my life of what I'm doing. Uh, but one of the shortcuts I have been creating uh, because uh, lockdown is starting to lift here in the UK. I'm fortunate to be in an area that is relatively well off compared to some other areas. Uh, so I have been able to go places, um, you know, to, you know, more than just the supermarket. Very exciting, I know. Um, and so I have been uh, experimenting with a shortcut that if I am getting driving directions home, it'll calculate how long it is until I get home. Um, and if it's not, if it's going to be less than 15 minutes, then it will turn back on my living room heater and my hallway heater just so that the house isn't freezing. Uh, if it's after 9 PM, it will turn on my electric blanket. Um, and if I am going to be traveling for more than 15 minutes, then it calculates back to 15 minutes before I'm supposed to arrive and schedules on my push call automation server, which is sitting at home, that it should run the, 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 the automation then at that time when, you know, I'm going to be about 15 minutes away from home to automatically start warming things up. So it's not super cold, but I do have the advantage of everything being off while I'm gone. Um, and I'm finding that that seems to be working quite well. Now, granted, I'm the furthest away I've been so far is 20 minutes, so <laughs> it's only had a five minute delay. Um, and I'm not sure I could tell the difference when I get home if the heating's been on for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. But the house is certainly not icy cold, um, and I'm I'm quite pleased with it. And I'm I'm feeling like I'm saving energy. My energy bill is certainly not as high as I was expecting it to be this month, which is a great start. Yeah, I had my M1 Mac on my lap last night and it was it's cold here right now i mean relatively mm -hmm. it's cold for southern california and i'm used to my laptop like being a heat source you know on my legs yeah and, and i was cold because my laptop wasn't eating me i was i was really bummed you know i was like oh here's a downside of the m1 mac it no longer yep. a space heater yep yep <laughs> it's it's amazing that you know that's what we've got used to but suddenly we're gonna have to get used to miss so we'll see all right, so 12 days of automation. Hopefully there was some stuff in there that can help you. Um, I have been using the new M1 Mac for automation, and I've got a bunch of thoughts and, and experiments to report in. We're going to talk about that right after this. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Setup. There's an app for everything these days. Some are excellent and others not so much. A great way to discover new quality apps and get all the tools you need to be successful and productive is by using Setup, a subscription for Mac apps. Setup packs over 200 apps into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And now you can take your projects to your iPhones and iPads, with support for iOS companion apps for your Mac, favorites like Ulysses, ToDo, and Tasky. Setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps, which means you don't have to spend time searching for great tools, and it's such great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate app licenses, you just pay one flat monthly fee. New apps are added regularly and updates are free. And all of the apps are their full-featured pro versions. Head over to setapp.com to try Setapp free for a week. And if you like it, pay just $9.99 a month for as long as it's useful to you. And it will be. Once again, go to setapp.com to see how it fits with your workflow. Our thanks to Setapp for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So Apple has now made a new Mac based on Apple Silicon as opposed to Intel chips. Yeah. 
And Rose is the smart one. She didn't buy one. She's waiting for next year's version. I which... mean, David, David, you, you're my guinea pig. You're trying this stuff. And you're going to report back to me and tell me, you know, that I can't use it as a heat source on my lap. That That's a deal breaker, David. That's a deal breaker right yeah, there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I solved the problem for you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking at the Mac Mini. But I, I mean, I my Mac Mini is probably about 18 months old. It's It was a high-end machine when I got it. I, I you know, made sure to... Trick it out to the best of my ability, except for the RAM, which I cheaped out on. And then I, you know, twisted Stephen Hackett's arm into taking it apart at max stock and putting, you know, considerably more RAM in there. Yeah. So I have 32 gigabytes of RAM in there because that's the only user serviceable part of the Intel machine. Uh, and unfortunately, with the M1 Max, you can't even do that with them. And they're limited to 16 gigs of RAM. And my machine is working really well. I definitely want that shiny new silicon machine. If it ran shortcuts... I, I would, there wouldn't have been a moment's hesitation. I would have been, you know, on the Apple Store website buying, 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 no doubt at all. But as it is, I do have working Macs and I'm pretty happy with what I've got right now. So I'm going to wait and see if there's an M1X or an M2 sometime next year. Um, and hopefully some of the people who bought M1s will, you know, maybe not be quite so gung ho about it or they'll be willing to upgrade again and I could get a great deal. Yeah, well, it, it is, um, I mean, this is the entry level, and it's crazy. And every time I talk about it on a podcast, I sound like an Apple fanboy. But, I mean, it's just so rare to see a computer improve so drastically, so quickly, and it is, it's remarkable. But we've had a lot of questions from automators listeners about, you know, what does that mean for Mac automation, and how does it affect your Mac automation? And I thought it'd, it'd be interesting to talk about, you know, my experiences um, for the, a lot of the automation type work I do, which is largely, I mean, the deepest I go down the stack really is Apple script and some JavaScripting. Um, it's fine. I mean, keyboard maestro works. I have not had any of my keyboard maestro scripts that, you know, used to work on Intel Mac, not work on this M1 Mac. I haven't tried all of them. I've got hundreds of them, but, um, they've all worked fine. And same thing, uh, text expander, which is another kind of gateway drug automation tool, works fine. Uh, Hazel came out with a new version that works on the M1. I think the new version is mainly for Big Sur more than it's the M1. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. they turned it into an application as opposed to a system uh, preference tool. But it it's it works fine. I mean, it it rock solid. All of my typical automation tools work fine. My automator scripts work. Um, all the Apple scripts I've written still work. Um, I understand if I were to go deeper down the stack into some of the terminal tools, some of those don't work yet. But um, yeah, like uh, I, I believe, um, what is it? Um, Homebridge is Homebridge not working on M1 yet? I have you. Uh, Homebrew is what oh, you're thinking sorry, of home, there, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, so it kind of works, um, but it's it's also you know one of those things where uh, there's Homebrew is not one thing it is one thing but it's essentially access to a whole bunch of different things a lot of which are developer tools which you know are, are somewhat difficult to port in some cases other things are very easy to port i know um bitbar is one of the services that you know was was not going to make the transition and then somebody's come out with swiftbar yeah. um which is you know the new version of bitbar basically which i'm super happy about because uh, having found about out about bitbar relatively recently uh, it turns out i love it and i need it in my life so i was disappointed to hear it wasn't going to work and then uh swiftbar is out um which solves that problem um 
And and some of this is, you know, thanks to changes that Apple have made with Big Sur. So, for example, Hazel needed a new version because it can't be a preference pane anymore. Yeah. It needs to be a standalone application. Um, and and there's a whole bunch of different things in there. I know um, some some of the apps that I use for development are not necessarily working super well on silicon. They're they're being ported, and there's something a little bit janky. I've heard that uh, there's a, a colleague at work who's got a machine, and he said, you know, what do you need me to test? And so I sent him a very long list of apps, and he wrote back to me with. I don't know how to code. Do I still? Can I still test these applications? And I said, well, if it starts, then that's a good thing. And apparently some of them didn't start. So I need to check back and make sure wh- whether or not he actually installed these things correctly or if he's doing the thing where he thinks that there's an executable file because he's a Windows user. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, so I mean, development tools, I think, are definitely not all there yet. Yeah. But automation. Except for Xcode, which I've heard is running it's compiling things considerably faster than a 10 core iMac Pro. Yeah, well that doesn't surprise on, me. On, on on the MacBook Pro and that that is amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely stunning. I am so impressed with that and very jealous of those developers uh that have got those machines cuz you know it it would be nice to have that but at the same time I'm doing all right with what I've got and so I'm going to hold off for a little bit and wait and see. We had an Apple executive on Mac Power Users and one of the things he talked mm-hmm. about is like they have the ability to walk down the hall to the hardware team and say like, there's this thing we do with our app that would, could really use hardware acceleration and they can write it onto the chip. Cause guess what? They're making the chip, you know? So it's, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes where like things like final cut and Xcode and logic are going to just run way faster, even than you, the improve, improvements you get from the basic, M1 chip because they're going to have on die subroutines built in for their software. Um, but so that stuff is awesome. Um, but in, in general, I think you're probably fine with automation with the new hardware. If you're doing the kind of stuff I'm doing, like I, I have not yeah. had any of my automation break, but I'm not writing really advanced terminal tools and I'm not using developer tools like Rose. So there's a line to be drawn. I think if you go deeper down that stack, you're, you're going to run into problems. But a lot of the stuff we talk about in this show all works. The other thing you said, um, shortcuts on the Mac. Now that we have the ability to run iOS apps, you know, I, I've never been a super big proponent of shortcuts, but now I want it to badly on my Mac. Yeah. It just seems obvious yeah. now. It does. I mean, I think the difficulty that we're going to run into here is, you know, whether, you know, developers have different Mac and iOS versions of their apps in most cases. You know, a lot of the apps that we've been using and love for years, for example, OmniFocus, they have two separate uh, Mac and iOS apps. Um, and of course, you know, there's probably shared code between them to an extent and, and things like that because they're not going to reinvent the wheel when they've already got the code. But those shortcuts hooks, which are in the iOS apps, are not necessarily going to be right there on the Mac apps. So then if if the short, if shortcuts does come to the Mac, does that mean that all developers are going to say, well, you can run the iOS version of our app on the Mac, but it's going to be an iOS version of the app. And if you if you really want full functionality, you should run the Mac app, but you're going to need the iOS app as well for the shortcut support. Or do they have to, in a couple of months, program in all shortcut support on the Mac as well? Um, we're going to have to wait and see um, if that happens. I'm very much hoping that the shortcuts team is working on a version of shortcuts for Mac OS, though. Because if there's one thing that will make me buy a silicon Mac before I'm ready to, it's shortcuts. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest, David. That's that's just going to happen. Yeah, and the even the, the native app support on the M1 is nothing to get excited about. That is not a reason to buy one of these, because most of the apps don't work. They've been turned yeah. off. And like, 
the one I find myself using the most is Dark Noise, you know, Charlie's mm-hmm. app, because there isn't really a good Mac app that does what Charlie's app does. And he fortunately allows us to use it on the Mac. But um, mm-hmm. Timery, which is another app I use all the time to set toggle timers. Man, I wanted that so bad on the Mac and it's not here. I have to reach out to the developer. Maybe he's working on a Mac app or there's some reason why it won't work on the Mac. But yeah. Yeah. Um, there isn't a good solution on the Mac. I know you've worked on some automation solutions, so have I. Um, I'm also bugging the um if you go into the um the GitHub for the um Stream Deck toggle support. I've been yeah. I've been active in there bugging the developer. I know they're testing a method now where you can add tags to a Stream Deck toggle. Oh, good. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I had something running with terminal commands doing doing post uh, or, or getting post um, REST calls to to the toggle API. Yeah, but it was kind of it wasn't kind of tricky to set up. It was tricky to set up because you would then have to create basically a macro for each you know favorite that you wanted because. You need to use the IDs of the tags and stuff like that, and it, it's much more user friendly to to have a proper web GUI for that. So, so I've I've got a version out there that's floating around, but it, it's it's not super stable. What I was doing, and I honestly wasn't very happy with it. I was excited by the possibilities that it offers, but it it doesn't work super well for me. Um, and if it doesn't work super well for me, the person who created this, then I can't really, in good faith, give it to other people. <laughs> it's never really going to be so. reliable. And, and, you know, hopefully yeah. the toggle thing comes together. But, uh, and fortunately for me, I keep an iPad in front of me when I'm in front of my, my iMac. So most of the stuff I just do on the iPad, but it would be nice to see uh, more adoption for um, iPhone and iPad apps over on the M1 Mac. But kind of getting back to the point of this segment, all of the the garden variety automation tools, I have had no problems at all. And I, I even wrote like the keyboard maestro developer to ask if he's seen any issues and he said he hasn't. And he was right on top of it for the Apple Silicon. So, um, you know, keyboard maestro is the one that I do the most kind of complex work with and that one works. So I think you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. If, if you've got very specific, you know, uh, more obscure apps that you need to do to do your day job or whatever it is that you do on the Mac, then of course you're going to have to check those out. But I think for most people, um, you know, for people who are doing, you know, I would say less non-Apple development work, then they'll probably be fine. But it, of course, depends. You know, you have to uh, take that with a pinch of salt and do your own research. But I'm very excited to see what comes out of this. Me too. All right. I think that about does it for today's show. We want to thank our sponsors, ExpressVPN, Red Sweater, uh, Woven, and Setup. You can learn more about the automators over at automators.fm, the website for the show. You can also find the show at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the forums, the amazing automators forums at talk.automators.fm. Rose, isn't it great when you search for a problem and you find the answer in the automators forum? Yep. Yeah, it's amazing. I am so happy when that happens. It's just great. We will see you in a couple weeks. And until then, keep automating. Have fun. Goodbye, everyone.